Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, I'm Stephen. And I'm Anoush. And in this week's podcast, we discuss... What counts as a sackable offence for an MP? Is a meaningful vote even possible? And why do the Tory rebels never rebel? Helen is off ill, so it is me and Anoush. Hello. The EEA option. Um, (laughs) Speaking of people who have vanished but will come back, Anne-Marie Morris has had the Conservative whip given back to her five months after she used a word I can't use on this podcast yeah, without losing our universal rating. Um, <laughs> yep, she's back, coincidentally, just before a very important vote this evening. But yes, I don't understand why she doesn't have to resign. And I had the same thing with Michael Fallon. So we don't really know exactly what he resigned from the cabinet over, but he was defence secretary and he stood down. So it must have been you know, something that he thought was substantial. Why doesn't he resign as an MP? That's another thing that really confused me. So have we lost the sort of sackable offence for MPs who do something wrong? It does kind of feel like we have, if not lost it, we've definitely raised the bar to, I would say, a dangerously high level. Priti Patel, uh, who podcast listeners will know as an operator, I think is hugely underrated. She very much knows what she wants politically and up until that point had been very effective about getting it. But the level of things she ought to have been sacked for in that scandal before the alarm was triggered was a bit like, really? This is bad, but is this really... How did she have to get to the point she got for her actions to be... Exactly. So for that day where everyone was following her flight home to the UK, that day didn't have to happen. She could have been asked to stand down two days before that because... It was only when further things unfolded that they decided that it was impossible to keep her, which is ridiculous because I feel like a minister in the past would have been fired immediately for something like that. Similarly with Boris Johnson and the case with the woman imprisoned in Iran. I mean, I feel like any minister would have been sacked over that. You know, ministers have stood down over dodgy things with their cleaners, you know, hiring with their cleaners. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, it is true to say that Blair, Miliband and to a lesser extent Brown did sack people too easily. Yeah. But like Emily Thornberry sacked for tweeting a picture of a house. <laughs> yeah. Various new Labour ministers sacked for like saying something a little bit left wing essentially in an interview, right? And now you have a situation where you have a variety of MPs on both sides of the house who are under investigation who may just be allowed to kind of quietly slip back. 
we have the ongoing question about whether or not Damien Green will have to go. Yeah. Um, and while he denies the allegations, to my eyes at least, it feels like we're, we're being asked to believe that Kate Maltby was playing a very long game mm. in order to make these accusations in 2017. If she was also messaging Rosamund Irwin at the Evening Standard a year earlier, right? That that just defies uh, credulity to me. David yeah. Davis lying about the impact assessments. Yeah, oh, that's another example. Well, not lying, sorry, because they got a civil they got civil servants to find some way where if you technically <laughs> define you know change the definition of impact assessments, uh, you could say that he was talking about something else, which it did in fact exist, and so he wasn't telling Porkies. Mm. It does feel to me, and this is just a kind of half baked theory, so you know, feel free to shoot it down. Then it's a combination of two things. One. May's own sort of psychology and approach to politics. She doesn't like scrutiny. She fought it a lot at the Home Office. And she has an attitude to what I would see as vital parts of the democratic accountability process that I find troubling. Mm -hmm. And then you have a hung parliament, which incentivizes that still further because they can't afford to piss anyone off. And so you have kind of two quite negative forces in terms of the government's ability to sack ministers or, sack, or you know, say to MPs, well, you're not standing as our candidate again next time. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I think she has a sort of bunker mentality, doesn't she? She's sort of like, you can't come after my team because I don't want any of them to be scrutinised. I don't want myself to be scrutinised. And obviously, why wouldn't she have that attitude? Because she was in the Home Office for so long and there were so many things that she did she could have had to resign over and she managed to stay. So perhaps she has the same sort of attitude towards her government as, as her reign over the Home Office, which lasted for such a long time. And also, I think really what makes a sackable offence depends on who the sacker would be. So with Theresa May, we know that she's really, really reluctant to do it. And she was even before she was so weak. So this is just an idea I've been knocking around today, and I'm just intrigued as to why. So I feel very strongly that people ought to be able to, when they've done something wrong, apologise, be held accountable for it, and then reintegrate into the group. So Anne-Marie Morris has technically apologised twice. Once when she, at the beginning, when she did a, I'm sorry for any offence caused. And today when she did a, I'd like to apologise again. And you're like, "Mm, again? She said, for my inappropriate and offensive language, which was a kind of more real apology. Instinctively, I feel that that ought to be enough. However, in this case, I feel it isn't. And I'm not sure why I feel it isn't enough. I think if she hadn't done the I'm sorry if I caused offence type apology when it, when she was first found out and she actually sort of genuinely looked like she was engaging with what she'd done and why it hurt people, that might have meant that now that we've come to five months after, it would have been kind of okay to let her back in and sort of she's learned a lesson here and she does seem genuinely contrite. Whereas I think it's because the initial reaction is always... Well, more often than not, I'm I'm sorry that you found out rather than I'm sorry that I've done this thing. And I think actually Jared O'Mara is quite a good example of that. So when all of these things were dredged up from message boards that he'd written when he was quite young, he still sort of engaged with what he'd said. He gave an interview quite soon after he was in this sort of media storm. And he said, you know, I was a young man. I had all of these ideas about masculinity. And it was actually quite a thoughtful think through of what he'd written. And then, of course, more came out that we're not, we don't really know whether or not that, that's still under investigation. So we don't know about that. But I think that will mean that in future, if Labour do reinstate him, it won't be so bad. Yeah, I mean, my my instinct, I mean, one, as you say, the... You don't have to agree. (laughs) I realise this might just be where I'm being overly cynical because 
I, I think I in theory agree with you, but in practice, I kind of just, and this is why I know this is a terrible attitude to have. And this is why I'm, you know, I, I hope I would not do this were I a juror, but I just feel like I look at what, Oh God, this is, this is such a terrible unwoke attitude. I realized instinctively <laughs> my conclusion is like, yeah, but he probably did it anyway, didn't he? Like probably the more recent stuff also happened. Yeah. Uh, which. That's uh, the natural thing to think because you start building a picture of a yeah, person. Which is not at all fair. But yes, he, he did at least do a better impression of contrition. And yeah. I think the thing is, if you believe in rehabilitation, which I do, I, I think a lot of our listeners will rightly then say, yes, but wouldn't you be sacked if you used that word? Mm. That is true. However, I think so. There are some instances, I mean, for example, having pornography on your work computer, a sackable offence here at the NS Towers, and I think then it should be a sackable offence in Parliament too. However, there are some things where people go, oh, well, that's not the deal for everyone. We're like, yeah, but it should be. The great example, the male having a go at the BBC for oh, yes. uh, Christmas taxis. People going, oh, you know, well, you don't get that if, you know, you work in a shop. It's like, yes, it is true that when I was, like, doing the Christmas Eve shift and we finished uh, after the last train... I had to wait in the freezing cold for a night bus because the company wouldn't put on a cab for us. And I had the advantage that I worked somewhere with a night bus, right? But the, the model to emulate there is not the model where, no. like, the worker is left out in the cold for an hour or, you know, they have to walk or they're forced to own a car, which obviously, as well as being environmentally damaged, is this huge cash sink for the low paid. And I kind of think in, in this situation, I do think in general... It's positive for people to do what Naz Shah, I think, very sincerely, which is go, I said these awful anti-Semitic things. I have learned. She showed mm. genuine contrition. Yeah. Uh, she's, she's won round the community in her constituency. As yeah, that's a, a really good example. I yeah. think she's dealt with it. Whereas it does, yeah. I think, yeah, it is, it is the first apology means that the second apology kind of feels like, oh, well, yeah, now I'm... Partly because just like, oh, I've realised the um, enormity of what I've done. It's just like, so you've got to be, what, 50-odd? <laughs> 50-odd. She's a lawmaker and she's only just at the age of 50-odd realised that the N-word is bad. I mean, I'm not expecting every member of the House of Commons to have, I don't know, like, read Tanisi Coates, but I think it's not unreasonable to expect them to be at least aware of, say, the debate around Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, yeah, no, um, exactly. And I think, yeah, I think it's the, it's the initial reaction that shows whether or not their next apology or whatever they do next in terms of grovelling is genuine or not. And now it's time for a section we like to call... You Ask Us! It's almost as if Helen's right here in the room. <laughs> um, and the question is being asked about the meaningful vote amendment, which may or may not have passed by the time you listen to it. But it's kind of a question, I guess, about the overall process, which is, is it really possible to have the meaningful vote than people are asking for? Mm. Yeah, so what is a meaningful vote, first of all? So they are, Theresa May is saying, they are going to get a vote on it, but it's sort of a take it or leave it vote right at the end you know when they when they've already decided what their deal will be and if that deal is unacceptable to parliament if they voted against it there would be no deal which would be a hideous scenario so obviously it's kind of forcing their hand what the rebels and the labor party and other opposition parties want is a is a meaningful vote which means a vote earlier in the process which means that they can actually give their opinion on the deal and send it back and say no come back with a better one the reason why theresa may doesn't think this is possible is because it would be too late and scupper the the process this is a sentence i don't think i've said before on the podcast but my instinct is i think theresa may is is right the thing about the Article 50 process is, in an odd way, it, it's both a perfect argument for people who think we shouldn't leave mm. uh, 
for pragmatic reasons. I'm not going to pretend I'm one of those people. I'm one of those people who stands up for Ode to Joy. I love the EU. I, you know, and I'm aware there are lots of problems with, with, with it and the way, particularly around the Eurozone and its, its attempts to bully the governments of Portugal and Greece. But I just am into the European project. But the kind of pragmatic case is illustrated well with Article 50, which is that if you leave, there's a big block next to you which bullies you and you have a horrible time and the process of leaving is so painful it's not worth it. Mm. On the other hand, it's also a really good argument for it's this big unfair block that has a mechanism designed to punish the departing nation. We should therefore want nothing out of it. However... Regardless of whether or not you feel Article 50 proves or disproves the case to leave, it is the process. And I don't really get where the, this meaningful vote would occur. Yeah, I mean, if you did want to have it when, they, when they've when they said they wanted to have it, and it would have to be right after the government strikes a deal. So it'd have to be really soon. Well, the, yeah, the thing is, I think in an odd way, it feels to me that the, the meaning... Well, so there was, there was one, one meaningful vote, obviously, was the Article 50 trigger itself, Yeah. not to go over old ground. I both think that voting for Article 50 is the worst mistake that any politician has made for a long time, while also not really seeing how it is reasonable to... Ex- just the, the politics of voting it against it are just so fraught that I think this idea that a Commons majority was going to be found to block it is, is crazy. Yeah. I think that these Tory rebels are just rubbish rebels because yeah. they've never rebelled. All of Theresa May's Brexit bills have passed and it's been quite a smooth process. And I know that's not only the Conservative rebels sort of, um, they're, they're not the only ones responsible for that, but they, they talk such a good game and then they don't do anything. And it feels like a slightly false rebellion because now, like you say, it's, it's a bit late. Mm. Now they're sort of like sticking their oar in saying they're actually going to do it. And it's frustrating because lots of people who would quite like to remain in the EU were quite excited about the government's tiny majority and weakness and and the you know the conservatives did have a majority of MPs who wanted to remain yeah and and this thing is like in terms of the other opportunity for a meaningful vote it would have been the it's it's over the end state like what are we what Mm. what do we want the final relationship after exit to look like that's actually the vote where MPs could take some control over mm. the process. But you're exactly right. So the single market amendment yesterday in the Lib Dems had, yes, Labour was whipped to vote against it. But equally, only two Conservatives rebelled. Ken Clark, who's rebelled consistently. Yeah. And Anna Subri, who I honestly feel might have been effectively kind of gradually teased into it via like Twitter and the meme. I think of- so, yeah, because she didn't, she voted through it. To trigger Article 50. She voted? She didn't, you know, whenever we've had other amendments on the single market, like Chuka Amuna's single market amendment, she, she hasn't voted for that. Yeah. So it does feel like she's sort of been coaxed into it because she's been built up as this figure who's what? supposed to be like this very rebellious conservative who never rebelled. I think what I thought was interesting is before the snap election, pro-European Labour MPs, you know, from across the party, mm-hmm. from your kind of like, you know, blariest of Blairites all the way to your, you know, we need to build a social Europe and other Euro- Europe is possible, mm-hmm. would go, oh, you know, I've got a lot of time for her, Anna. She's a principled pro-European. I don't agree with her or anything. But, mm-hmm. And then what weirdly started to happen around July of this year is those kind of people go, I'm just tired of her drama. You know, she, <laughs> yeah. you know, she writes like a piece and then she does nothing. Yeah, and I, I think inter- that's very true. And the response to her Guardian article was, uh, was interestingly, you know, not hostile in a... I'm sure there was some angry abuse as well. But it wasn't just hostile in that way. There were an awful lot of people just like, yeah, sure, Jan. You you, <laughs> you say that all the time. Uh, and it just feel like since then, she's kind of like, oh, maybe I should actually 
rebel or perhaps it was the telegraph mutineers front page is kind of but nonetheless ultimately you're right tory rebels have never really shown any inclination to do so and this amendment under the article 50 process at the end you get a choice between the deal and no deal if you vote down and go try again unless you're setting what you want the government to try again for right like is what these conservatives want for us to still be in the single market and customs union is it for us to have as close regulatory alignment as possible what is it that they want yeah because otherwise you could do that process ad infinitum couldn't you it doesn't really make any sense and i think if they had been opposing these kind of bills from the start and being actual rebels, then it, then they might not be in the position where they don't like the idea of what the government's going to come back with. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Stephen Bush, and my colleague Anusha Kellyan. We're recorded by India Bork and produced by Caroline Crampton. Our music is Devil by the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. Our Christmas issue is now in stores. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.